0: right that's probably the most uncomfortable thing I can think of let's do that I needed to do something that was going to really test me at your most vulnerable when you are at your most uncomfortable that is when you have an opportunity to learn the most about you and really the type of person who you are.
1: Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Rachel J podcast. We're talking all things wellness and lifestyle to help you do life better. I'm your host, Rachel J, and it's been so great seeing everyone enjoying the recent episodes. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I know some of you have been listening to the podcast for a while, but you may not be subscribed. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. It makes such a difference and it will help us grow the podcast for you so we can have more inspiring conversations and learn more from our amazing guests. This week, I'm very excited to be sitting down with one of Australia's most popular thought leaders and practitioners in mindfulness and meditation. He's also the founder of the mindfulness app, Soul Alive, the author of Everyday Enlightenment, and you may also have seen him on The Bachelor back in the day. Welcome to the show, Luke McLeod.
0: Hey, Rachel. How are you?
1: Good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. It's mm. so exciting. And you've got quite a few bits and pieces. Obviously, your new book, Everyday Enlightenment, is coming out very soon. So congratulations on that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to this chat. Seeing where it goes.
1: (laughs) Where it goes. I mean, there's so many different places, but we were just talking before that you've just wrapped up finishing the audio book as well, which is very exciting. So the book will be available uh, in audio version too, which is very, very cool. I want to start with a background of you because I've Mm. had a lot of people on the podcast that are in the wellness space. And what I've usually found is that something has happened to them personally to bring them to this kind of work. In researching your background, I read somewhere that you actually went through some quite challenging times, maybe back in, I think, 2015, something like that, some life events that maybe Mm. that that turned your life upside down. So Mm. I'm interested to start there. Can you share a little bit about what was going on for you at that time?
0: Sure. Yeah, if if we can I'd, I'd I'd love to even go back a little bit further, maybe about 5 years before those series of things happened within my personal life because I think it's uh it's a good story because why most people get into meditation is generally because something happens in their life which is fairly traumatic. You know, uh death of a loved one, they've gone through a health scare themselves or something which is gotten them to the point where they're like, okay, I need to do something to to change, to shift, to deal with these emotions which are coming up. Uh, and it might be a doctor or a close friend or a family member that says, hey, maybe try some meditation to help you deal with and get through this time, which is a wonderful thing. And that certainly did happen for me when I went through that difficult time in my life. However, I'd love to just touch on the original reason why I actually got into meditation because I think that is quite relatable for a lot of people. And a key message that I try to get across, particularly in the book, is that I really hope and don't want people to have to get to a point in their lives where they experience something traumatic or they go through a really difficult time for them to make changes in their life. Uh, I think it can be something which we can address a lot earlier and put in preventative steps so it doesn't have to get to that point for you to do something to change in your life, if that makes sense. Hmm. So the, the, the original reason why I actually got into meditation was to help me with work. Uh, at the time, I was very career-driven. I was very focused on my... Uh, <laughs> professional life and moving up the ladder and all those things which a young, hungry, 20-year-old usually is like. And I was looking for something to help me feel more focused and productive at work. And I found meditation by looking at some of the most successful people in life. And I noticed that all of these people, regardless of what they were in, whether it was business, sport, arts, the people who are at the best in their field – they, a lot of them, most of them meditated. And I just found that really fascinating that people, when they are performing their best and at the the peak of what they're doing, a lot of them meditated. And that was the original reason why I got into it. I just was just like, okay, well, if these people are doing it, there's got to be something to it. So I used it almost for five or so years as a productivity tool to help me feel more focused and more productive throughout my working day. And i found that it did help me in that way. Now, luckily, when I hit that moment in my life where these things happened in my life, and there was a a series of things in a very short period of time. So it was about within three months. It was an end of a 10-year relationship that broke down. Uh, A business venture that I was involved in went south and pretty much imploded. Uh, My family was going through a really difficult time at that at, at that time as well, it was my brother-in-law who was battling cancer and he was only 35 at the time. Oh. So that was really tough. Me and my a close friend of mine had a falling out, which was, again, tough. And, and all of these things were happening, as I said, at the same time. And usually, you know, when something traumatic happens to you in your life, you can turn to another area of your life to help you through it. So it might be your partner or your family or or a close friend. Whereas at that point in my life, all the areas had either, you know, dissolved or imploded or were going through their own challenges. I'm sure my family would have been there for me if I reached out, but they were dealing with, I think, a a more serious challenge and I didn't want to unload on top of what everyone was going through at that time. So I really didn't really have anywhere else to turn to at, at that moment. And that's when I went a lot deeper into my meditation practice and it unlocked a lot more of the emotional, spiritual components of meditation that a lot of people talk about. But up until that point, I hadn't really experienced myself. So it was a bit of a an eat, pray, love moment, <laughs> if I'm being honest, yeah. where where I... I booked a one-way ticket to India and went over there and and just threw myself into these teachings, the culture uh, of different meditation practices and techniques over there and it helped me a lot get through that stage in my life and it, it opened up this whole new realm of using meditation to process trauma, deal with difficult emotions and After that, when I came back from India, I was just like, wow, okay, this is pretty amazing what you can do here with this practice. I want to try and share it with other people and that's what I've been trying to do ever since then.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible journey because even you just describing that, the series of events that were – I think we can all – relate to having something challenging happening in our lives. We've all been through a breakup. We've all had something to do with family going on. We've had things with friends, but to have them all happen at the same time, even you just it, describing that to me it sounds like it would just create so much anxiety and stress and uncomfortableness especially dealing with all the emotions that you were going through and then also not even being able to feel like you could reach out because like you said you had every area of your life that something challenging was going on that you normally might be able to rely on one other area to support you through what an incredible journey and it's so great that you were that you've you had already at that time found meditation to turn to that during those times yeah. but I think also one of the things that we as humans do because meditation if you do already practice meditation there was a point where you didn't practice meditation right yeah. and yeah, and course. we have we have these uh, coping skills that we that we either adopt from childhood or we've picked up along the way or from wherever we've picked these up from. We have different coping skills before we learn to consciously practice meditation when we're going through these difficult times. So I'm interested to know, before we delve into meditation and all those kinds of things, I'm interested to know if you were aware at the time of what you would normally have, let like your default Coping skills would have been had you not had meditation? What would you normally have gone to if you didn't have that as something to support you through?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And if I can think of the time before I started meditating, or even when I was using meditation just as uh, more so as a productivity tool, not to, you know, process emotions and so forth, I think like a lot of people we tend to kind of just suppress our feelings. So in other words, like the the coping is just kind of putting it off, (laughs) you know? Like I I would just uh, almost just push it down. I would find other things to replace or to keep myself busy rather than actually dealing with the pain or or what really needed to be dealt with. Um, Whether that was putting my attention and time into work to distract me whether that might have been uh, even alcohol to some extent, uh, you know, it can be a number of different things. Fitness at the time as well, something that you just or I just would just want to take my mind off the possibility of having to deal with that difficult time or that emotion, emotional discomfort that was going on. And I see this so much right now, Rachel, it's uh, and I talk about it in a bit in the book as well around one of the key causes as to why you know the society humans in general are really struggling is because we just continually just jump from one thing to the next to distract ourselves without actually or coping without actually going in and dealing with what's really going on now when we're younger when we're kids that's actually necessary right it's needed right with and it's a default almost system within us to just Get by if we have experienced trauma with a child. One of our default systems within the body and the mind is to almost just block, block off that um, memory to be able to cope and to move forward with that. And it's not until later on when we're adults where we can process emotions and deal with them a little bit more effectively is when these things start to bubble up. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, a big part of meditation and what I try to get across in the book is giving people the techniques, particularly through meditation, on how to start approaching these difficult emotions and and trauma and anxiety and depression and things that we all deal with in different ways uh, through meditation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like what you said there as well, just the things that you, the coping skills that you used to do before you found meditation we can all i feel like relate to that in some way because we've probably all done that to some degree in one area or another fitness alcohol using work to distract ourselves and like you said it is a very common thing to suppress and numb and almost in a way try to forget that that exists but like you said it does you know if you're going through something difficult in your life at some point it's going to bubble up and and if you don't look at what's going on then it can cause issues down the track. It comes up in other ways and, you know, it's those things that we need to really look at. Now, I'm interested to know when you go into your – because obviously meditation allows the space to look at what's going on, right? And sometimes that can be scary for a lot of people, especially if you're newer to a meditation practice because – and even just, you know, even if you don't practice – meditation necessarily, or, you know, you, maybe you do yoga or something like that. I think a lot of people find sitting with themselves very uncomfortable and part of, and meditation, that's part of the practice, right? So how was it for you when you first, I mean, aside from when you used it as a productivity tool, but when you were actually using it more as a tool to process your emotions, what was your feeling sitting with, The things that were coming up and that uncomfortable feeling, because that's something, that's again, I think a thing that we avoid as humans. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. And especially when we're already going through something traumatic. So, what was that experience for you? And how did you, how were you able to sit with that uncomfortableness?
0: Well, first and foremost, it it was really uncomfortable. It's, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't. Like, it, it is tough. You know, sitting there and having to play out and deal with these emotions when they're bubbling up. And this is why, and, and I, again, I explain this in the book, there's a really important stage with meditation before getting to a point where you're using meditation to process difficult emotions. I call it the relief stage, some type of relief meditation. And it's really, really important that people start with this type of meditation before going into what I call healing meditation, which is the type of meditation to process difficult emotions and things that you might be dealing with. Because, yeah, you're absolutely right. If we go straight into trying to use meditation to heal and to process difficult emotions, it's going to be really, really difficult to do. We'll probably do it for a minute and we'll go, ah, oh, no, I had enough of that. I'm not, you know, it's too uncomfortable. The body seizes up it actually goes into a, a state of uh, stress. It goes into a um, fight or flight. Just similar if we were to experience something actually which is threatening, you know, in our physical world, we we have that response within the body. It tenses up and we either run to get out of there or we freeze up to try and deal with it. And it's the same thing even if it's real or not. And what I mean by real or not, whether it's physically real or whether it's going on in your head the body doesn't know the difference it still experiences it reacts in the same way so if we're sitting down with our eyes closed and we're trying to process this without knowing how to calm the body and relax the body first and put ourselves in a state of safety and calm first and foremost it'll be it's extremely difficult to to do that type of meditation and process those emotions so hence in the book I, the first stage i call it there's a uh, a method the soul alive method and the first stage is called the relief stage and practicing certain types of meditation just to train yourself to be calm to relax to break down the body and to feel safe first and foremost because we are in desperate need of relief so focus on just doing that for an extended period of time and what tends to happen naturally is when the body is starting to feel safe and calm, these emotions start to bubble up. And whether, they're, whether you invite them or whether they come on their own accord, they start to bubble up and they go, right, okay, the body's feeling safe and secure, now deal with this. <laughs> and it throws trauma at yeah. you. It throws something difficult that says, okay, now that you're feeling safe, deal with this. And it can be, I call it spooky moments. You know when you're watching those, social media spook clips where like someone walks around the corner and they go, Wah! and you're like, Wah! yeah, like uh, I, I, <laughs> yes. I love them. I find them really funny. But it's very similar to when you're meditating and like if you're doing some type of just nice relaxing meditation and then all of a sudden you're just like, <laughs> like what's, what's going on there? I feel tense. <laughs> I feel anxious. What's yes. going on? But because you've trained yourself in that calm meditation first, when these things bubble up, you just go, Okay. Just relax. It's all good. You go through a process of relaxing the body first, which is really important to let the body know first that it's safe and secure. And then you can start to then use meditation to process, deal with these emotions by different observation techniques and so forth. Um, But yeah, coming back to your original point is it is very difficult, hence the reason why... I would really recommend trying or doing some type of relief meditation, training yourself in that first and foremost, particularly if you are dealing with something difficult or if you're an anxious person or something's really stressing you out, just get some relief first. You don't have to deal with the trauma straight away, okay? Just yeah. right, have a break. Right, Use meditation for a break. Just de-stress, let it go, relax, and enjoy meditation for that purpose. Once you feel safe, relaxed, and calmer, great. Now go into the next stage. You can use different techniques, as I said, to start processing and dealing with those difficult emotions.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's such a great tip to know that we can start at a, I guess, I don't want to say a beginner level, but almost just ease yourself into it, right? And allow your body to, I guess, learn what it feels like and to be in that nice, calm state. Like you said, you mentioned there that the connection between body mind, I feel like is so important as well, right? When you are able to bring your body or your physiology into a place where you are in a state that you feel calm. I think it's so interesting that you said that, yeah, when the body feels calm, then you can then allow those emotions to come up.
0: Totally. Yeah. And you can always step back as well. Like if you're dealing with, if you are at that stage and you're using a type of meditation to process difficult emotions and it gets too overwhelming, just step back into a relief type of meditation. Go there for a couple of minutes, you know, relax the body and then move back into when you're feeling a little bit more comfortable back into a a healing type of meditation. So you can use it how you like and body and the postures of meditation is often forgotten about. We don't often talk about that part of meditation, but it's a really important part. We often just focus on quieting the mind and sorting out your emotions in the mind and what's going on within. But the body is such an essential part of who we are. It's a third of our, you know, who we are, mind, body, and the spirit. So it's really essential that we include just as much that as, as a part of meditation as the other two parts. So and this is why when you look at yoga, right the wheel of yoga or the eight limbs of, of yoga, before we even get to the meditation stage on the limbs of yoga, uh, the yogi is prescribed you going through different types of breathing exercises, uh, body postures, in other words, asanas, which is what's commonly referred to in Western yoga, is when we you know move the body into different postures. The reason why they do that or they prescribe that is for you to be able to get the body into a state which feels safe and secure to meditate. So it's a really essential part of meditation, particularly when you are going into it to use it for to process difficult emotions. Things like, for me, every time I go in. Uh, to meditation, I do a quick breathing exercise. Um, to, it's a wonderful instant relief of just getting out a bit of stress out of the body and a bit of a stretch. as another way of loosening up the body a little bit so when I'm meditating, it's a, a, a bit more comfortable. Two really simple things that can have a big impact on how comfortable you are when you meditate and how comfortable the body is when difficult emotions arise.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's such an important, like you said, important point to remember that the body is so much connected to it and to not forget about that as we move through. You've spent so long, I mean, you talked about your journey to India, but that's it's been over two decades where you've been studying a variety of different meditation techniques. There's a few different ones like Vedic, Kundalini, Zen, Vipassana, and so I'm interested to know your take now that you've 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 had such a incredible body of study and knowledge around meditation, what is your take on how people generally in the West approach stress and anxiety and those kinds of things as opposed to the East? What have you noticed in terms of the approaches to those things like stress and anxiety?
0: Yeah, well, I think we've come a long way. When I say we, I mean the West uh, in adopting things like mindfulness, meditation, yoga from the East over the last, Forty to fifty years, so which is great, you know. I, I think the more we do that, the better. But we still have a long way to go. <laughs> mm. um, we we still tend to turn to more easier and more comfortable and more pleasurable forms of dealing with stress and anxiety. And I'm not saying that they're all bad, right? Like some of them are actually you know, pretty good, but a lot of them are just don't really deal with what's really going on. So, yeah. you know, and as like for example, having a glass of wine now and then. Uh, it is a way to de-stress. A lot of people at the end of the day, they have a glass of wine or a beer just to kind of ha ah. and I'm and I'm not totally against that. You know, like it actually does have a relaxing feeling within the body and the mind and that. But we all know that it's not that good for us, right? Like it's it's a, essentially a, a poison, what we're doing to ourselves. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that uh, we turn to those things even though we know it's not that good for us.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: So in regards to those type of practices, we still have a lot of that, obviously, in the West. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that our awareness around these things, is where the problem lies. So, yeah. if we increase our awareness, which, funny enough, meditation does that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, be, we can be more mindful of the things that we do in the West a lot more than in the East, the Eastern cultures. And we can control it, manage it a little bit more than just kind of letting it control us. So, yeah. Yeah, a long way to go, but we're getting there.
1: <laughs> I think it's great that you talked there about awareness and I think obviously that's the first step to anything, right, is to become aware of what it is that you're currently doing and how it may or may not be benefiting you. Like you said, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have a glass of wine, but if you are dealing with stress or anxiety, perhaps there might be a different way to approach it. And, you know, like we just talked about there, there's so many different meditation techniques as well that you've studied. I'm interested to know what you have found in your work to be the most effective for people because I imagine that everybody is different to some degree and that's why there's so many different approaches that may work differently for different people. Yeah, very true. For the most part, have you you noticed that there's one particular technique that seems to, work well for a vast majority of people and, and people seem to take to it as well?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question and I'm glad you raised it because I think a lot of people can just maybe be introduced to meditation with one type and they think that that's going to solve all their problems, which is very rarely the case. I, I like to kind of compare it to physical exercise. There's so many different types of physical exercise exercises we can do And depending on where you're at, how old you are, what you're going through, your level of health, really would determine what type of physical exercise should be most appropriate for you, right? Let alone whether you like doing it or not, (laughs) right? So someone who doesn't like riding, if they get prescribed from someone, hey, go and ride your bike and just do that as a way of getting physical healthy, they're not going to enjoy it. Right, and let alone stick with it. So it's just, and, and meditation, and and mental exercises is the same. Uh, I think first and foremost is looking for one that you enjoy doing, uh, and then secondly where you're at and what you need is the probably the key questions that you need to be asking yourself. Now, is there a type which is easier than others, particularly if you're starting out? I think so. And I touched on this earlier that any type of a relief meditation is certainly easier than doing a type of healing meditation. So what's a relief type of meditation? A relief type of meditation is where you are just simply connecting with some type of source which is in the present moment, whatever that might be. So really simple, really effective meditation for this is some type of body scan meditation where you're literally just feeling or noticing different sensations within the body, wherever that might be. And you're just observing that, connecting with that sensation. Now, a lot of people use their breath, the feeling of the air moving in and out through their nostrils. It could be a tingling sensation that you might notice in the tips of your fingers and wherever. It's a wonderful type of meditation, which is really easy and really, really effective for getting some relief.
1: Yeah, I like, I like how you've broken it down between relief meditation and healing meditation because I feel like it, it hasn't really been framed that way. I've never, never heard it been framed that way before. And then even just you describing those those few different ones of the relief meditation, the body scan, the breath, uh, and, and the awareness bringing yourself into the present moment. I feel like that's why probably breath work works very well because it's something that's very simple. It gets you to focus on your breath, the sensation, and it brings you into the present moment, and, like you said, gives you that relief because it it just stops your mind from thinking about all these other things and brings you into the present moment, which is which is really cool.
0: Yeah, it's twofold. It does that it does both from a relief point of view, through physically through the body, by releasing tension within the body. And if you are also really focusing on the breath itself, moving in and out through the body as your focal point, then that is a meditative space as well. So, yeah, breath work, it's trending at the moment, and, which is great. I just hope it doesn't trend too much and get too wokey and fluffy.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, yeah.
0: As some of these things tend to, uh, tend to do. Uh, but it is a wonderful and easy exercise that I would really recommend. As well. The other key thing which I I wanted to touch on here is I talk about this in the book as well. Another way of being able to find a type of meditation which really resonates with you is what I like to call finding your primary sense. So, your primary sense is how you generally process information. And there's usually three ways which we process information there's visual, there's auditory and this kinesthetic. So in other words we touch. We like we we need to experience touch something for us to understand it and process process it. Others would like to watch a video. They're visual. That's how they understand and process information. Whereas other people prefer to listen to an audiobook or listen to music. They're auditory type of people. So their primary sense is usually one of those three. What I would recommend is looking for a type of meditation that is aligned with your primary sense. For example, if you're auditory, in other words, you would prefer to listen to an audio book than read it, then some type of mantra-based meditation where you're hearing a, a phrase or word over will probably resonate with you more than, type, than some type of visual meditation where you're focusing on a particular visual to connect with the present moment. Or, like me, I'm a kinesthetic. I know that's my primary sense, so I really can connect with the present moment through feel and touch. And so a body scan meditation, where I am noticing different sensations within the body, is, I find, really effective and resonates with me. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore the other types of meditations. Uh, I would then use them as secondary or supportive components to your primary sense type of meditation, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it totally does. And I, again, mm. I've never heard meditation framed that way before in terms of figuring out what your primary senses. And I think that's such a great way to, if you are sort of thinking about what technique should I use, this is a great way to discern that difference for yourself. Because like you said, we are all quite different. Obviously we we use all three, but there's one that you probably tend to lean more towards anyways, which is a a really great tip for people who are exploring Mm. this practice for themselves as well. Yeah. Totally. So, You know, in your book, it's all about helping everyday people find that inner peace, that inner calm without really having to become a monk and go (laughs) up into the mountains and and sit there and and meditate forever. But I'm interested to know what does being enlightened mean to you? Because I think that term Mm. can scare people off in some ways because it is obviously – we're talking about a a certain spiritual term in some sense – and it can sound quite esoteric. So, what does mm. it actually mean to you?
0: I'm so happy you raised that because I was even I was quite nervous of even including that word within the title. Uh, in fact, I had a a bit of a debate with the publishers around you know because of that exact reason as people's opinion of it. Because I think there's one of real two perspectives of that word. There's first of all there's this perspective that it's completely unattainable where it's just like, you know, only reserved for, yeah, the monks that live in the Himalayas and so why would I even bother if it's so unattainable? Or there's this other opinion which is almost seen as like it's almost like a fluffy woo-woo fake in some ways term. Um, And that's half due to... (laughs) Social media, and just people yes. just, you know, oh, I had this enlightening experience. And they're just, and then people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, it does have these uh, perspectives of it. And, but for me, when I actually looked into the, what the actual word means, like what is the actual, when you break it down, what is, when you pull it apart, what does it actually mean? So, N means you. And obviously, it's the other part's quite simple, light. And so it's a light on you, and that's the way that I like to see enlightenment. It's 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 shining a light on ourselves. It's everything about yourself, uh, who you are, um, all your flaws, all your wonderful characteristics, and all your your environment around you as well. So it's just shining a light on everything that uh, who you are, where you're at, what you do, your environment people around you. In other words, it's awareness. It's making you aware. And that's the way that I see it. enlightenment is living an aware life as much as possible of what's going on within us at, you know, at any given time and bringing some awareness to that and our environment around us, the people around us, what's going on. And if we do that, if we have awareness – as much as we can throughout our lives, then it becomes fascinating. It becomes remarkable, extraordinary because yeah. like you're just like, whoa, this um, is incredible. Even the difficult stuff, like you go, wow, that's that's difficult, but it's still incredible. It's teaching me this or it's showing me that. It's making me go through these emotions and feel this way. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a glorious experience that, we get to experience uh, while we're here, living on this earth. So that's why that's how I see enlightenment.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I really like that perspective. I love that you were talking there about shining a light on ourselves, and essentially, what I hear from that is mm. that it's an invitation. Mm. for self-awareness and self-inquiry and like you said I think if we have more awareness it kind of brings about this level of curiosity right to things that we might be going through and instead of looking at challenges and things that we might face in our lives as looking at it as this is difficult and it's hard and of course yes that also might be true Mm. but also then framing it in a way of becoming curious about how we are responding in that moment and what is it about us looking at ourselves mm. that is bringing this experience to us? What can we learn from this experience? Asking ourselves these questions so then helps us to find the answers, right? I mean, we, it, I, I've always yeah. got the perspective of the quality of your answers is dependent on the quality of your questions.
0: Yeah, it's so true.
1: So if, if we're curious – We're just going to ask more questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love the fact that you touched on curiosity. It's such an underrated quality. It is up there with one of my favorite qualities that I really try to embody and practice as much as possible. I talk about these curious walks and... Even how something as simple as that where what I do is every time I go on a walk and I do the same pretty much walk loop most mornings is I try to find three new things that I've never noticed before every time I do that walk. Now, this could be a a commute to work for someone else or someone who's listening, just something that you do almost every day that's almost on autopilot but you don't even just realize that you're doing it. If you can bring this very practical, very easy com- component of curiosity to just that, what's often considered a mundane part of your life, uh, what it does is just it brings a, those moments of mindfulness and being present, pulls that into the here and now rather than just on an autopilot mode, thinking, worrying, whatever you've got to, oh, I've got to send that email. or It just, for a moment, pulls it out and you just experience you just experience what's going on um, and that comes through curiosity and being very practical, practical curiosity. doesn't matter how mundane the things are either and by doing that you're stacking these small moments of mindfulness on top of each other and and soon enough these expand into big moments of consciousness connection with the here and now and that's a beautiful thing. So I love that you touched on curiosity and I'm a big fan of it.
1: Yeah, and even even just you saying that, exercise there that practical curiosity of, of finding things in your everyday life that's something that is we can actually implement that instead of it being this i guess theoretical idea but you can actually do that when you go for your whatever you do you know everyone's got a routine that they have that they do certain things over and over again and in any one of those moments you can ask those questions of yourself you can you know find find those things that you haven't noticed before like you were just saying
0: yeah. And, yeah. And, and as I said, it doesn't matter how mundane they are. Like it, it could be if you're going for a walk, just really just be curious around you. Like, oh, I've never noticed that building before. Oh, I've never noticed that sign before. Or the changing of the seasons. There was a flower there yesterday. There's not a flower there today. You know, and just these little things that you just like, what? There's also another term I talk about in, in the book called uh, being a tourist in your own neighborhood. You know, when you go traveling, like you're just like oh in awe of everything. you're looking yeah. at like the statues and and whereas the locals are just zipping past they're not even just like they don't even like consider that statue. they wouldn't even look twice at it. but you're there going, wow, that's amazing because we get so just take things for granted. yeah and whereas we can find beauty everywhere uh, literally walking outside your front, Door. And if you have that approach of being curious and almost like, I'm stepping into like as if this is a complete new place I've never been to before. What am I going to find? And you'll find it. You'll find like a, a fascinating tree that you've never noticed before. Or like it's amazing what you find when you just have that approach of turning up your level of curiosity. And another cool way to do that is: yeah, when you step outside, treat it like you're visiting a foreign place that you've never been to before and just see what that does.
1: Yeah. No, I really love that. And and just bringing these very easy, practical, daily things that you can into your life. And I feel mm. like that's just summing up what your book is about, obviously, with Everyday enlightenment, to me, the the juxtaposition of the the words, even though enlightenment can be perceived in a few different ways, every day then kind of brings it to the point where it's like it's something that is easily achievable for anybody. And to incorporate these little practices into your life is, like you said, how you stack those mindful moments and then those little moments become more of a state that you then always inhabit or, or a lot of the time inhabit that state, which is which is really, really nice. Oh,
0: I'm so happy you said that because that was the uh, exact intention of what I was hoping <laughs> <laughs> the title would bring along. So
1: yeah, yes. that's reassuring. That definitely comes across. Now, <laughs> I've also I've also read, now this is kind of tracking back even further before. I mean, I'm sure you practice meditation while you're going through this experience, but I've read that you had said that you actually learnt a lot about yourself going through your experience on television. And for those of you listening, I'm sure you would have recognised Luke from uh, television. He's appeared on a few different um, shows. The Bachelor is one of them. (laughs) And I'm just wondering why was it that you never thought you'd go on reality television and what were your thoughts about going on television and what did you learn about yourself from going through that experience?
0: Yeah. I, I don't know many people would have thought of uh, wanting to go on reality TV. Like I I don't think that crosses many people's minds. It does a few mm. um, as a, the, I've met those people. Um, but, yeah, I, I never thought I would be one of those people until I came back from India and I knew – I needed to do something that was going to really test me and be put me in a really uncomfortable position. <laughs> and yes. uh, what was more uncomfortable than putting yourself on national TV on a on essentially a, a dating show? And uh, oh my god, yeah. So I was just like, right, that's probably the most uncomfortable thing I can think of. Um, let's do that. <laughs> and yeah, because. It's when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're at your most uncomfortable, that is when you have an opportunity to learn the most about you and the, really the type of person who you are. And that certainly happened. It And it can go a number of different ways. And there were certainly times where I was just like, oh, my God, what am I doing? What have I done? Like, that in itself was a huge lesson because you're going through that those emotions. Yeah. So you... you, you learn so much about yourself not just from the questions you're asking yourself but you're put on a platter so everyone else is going to let you know what they think about you as well so it's uh it's very confronting at times challenging at times amazing amazingly rewarding because what i do now like uh, i think i i'm very fortunate to go through that experience because a lot of people who i communicate with now and and do what I do with meditation I don't think probably would have ever looked at meditation or considered it if I hadn't done those shows yeah so it's been a real silver lining a blessing in disguise that has carried on from doing those experiences so um yeah I I don't I wouldn't have to recommend people to do reality TV to get uncomfortable but if you'd really wanna get uncomfortable, <laughs> then great. Go into it. I would recommend it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean, I've never heard that being the reason for someone doing reality television, which I really love. It's it's such a great because to me, my perception of it is that I imagine, obviously, like you said, you have to be quite vulnerable. You you are literally, you're on a very big stage, you're appearing in front of a nation and also with that comes commentary, opinions, and perhaps not all of them are necessarily positive yeah. and to be able to deal with that. But not only that, you are somewhat, I mean, obviously there's context around the show that you're on, but... To some degree, you the, the narrative and how that's and how that's all played out—that's not in your control either, and so yeah. you don't know until the show airs how that's going to come across, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So mm. I I do feel like it's a it's a, a challenging thing that I guess yes, not everybody would necessarily put themselves in that situation. But what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself going through that journey?
0: Oh, I I think that the biggest thing was a greater level of awareness of my emotions. Uh, and like quite you know extreme emotions at time. Like as you touched on that, there was a part going through that experience where between the filming and when it actually comes out, I was so anxious. I was a wreck, like because as you touched on, you don't really know whether you're going to come across or how you how you're going to come across. And looking back at that now and going through those emotions of like how anxious I was. I was really, you know, proud now looking back of how I eventually was able to process that. Those feelings and that were really, really difficult. So, yeah, I, I learned that I'm stronger in a lot more ways than I thought I was, um, but also in other ways that that I'm I'm not as strong as what I thought I was. <laughs> yeah,
1: right.
0: So it's That's... it's a two edged sword. Like there's, um, yeah, I, both were valuable lessons from which I learned. Um, and have made me, I feel, a lot better person today. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you learnt just more about who you are. In, mm. it, it brought those things to light, good and, you know, things that maybe you didn't realise about yourself Exactly. too. Yeah,
0: yeah, which are equally as important and valuable lessons to learn. Yeah. 100%. So, um, yeah, not, not easy, difficult. And uh, <laughs> as I touched on, I don't think I would, uh, recommend people to do it, but if you are really wanting to put yourself through everything, all the emotional yeah. roller coasters, then wow, well, it's uh, that'll do it for you.
1: My goodness! <laughs> well, I've got the I've got the final three questions for you, Luke. So, okay. what drives you?
0: What drives me? Overall, bringing more awareness to people's lives—that is by far my biggest
1: drive. Yep. Amazing. Bring more awareness to people's lives. I really like that, mm. and I, I do feel like we need, we do need help. You know, sometimes we, even oh, yeah. though it's on, it's on you. Uh, we need help.
0: Yeah, guide, we need people guidance. to reflect.
1: Guides and people to reflect things back to us, and um, yeah, I really like that. Mm. Now, if you had to redo or relive something in your life and do it differently, what would it be and why?
0: Wow. That's such a oh like there's the, the answer to that I was like I like I want to say there's nothing because I feel like everything serves a purpose and I've learned from every experience that I've gone through to make me who I am today. but I'll also be lying to say that there's uh, there's relationships or things that I've you know conversations I've had like with my dad and so forth that I've at times I feel like I've regretted um, you know which I probably could have gone about in a different way. But in saying that again, like maybe that was meant to happen because now it was uh, I was able to go and have a different conversation with him which led to a deeper, more profound uh, outcome. So I don't know. That's a tough one. Does that answer
1: it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a tough one because I find most people most of my guests have answered fairly similarly mm. in that the perspective on looking back and wanting to redo something I feel like the framing of regret most guests on my show tend to have that have that sort of perspective where I don't really regret anything because those things have led me to where I am now and mm. and they've taught me valuable lessons and uh, I do find that to be it's a difficult question because in some ways you know, you you would you would do something differently, but then in others, had you done it differently, it would bring you to a different point in your life. So,
0: totally, it's one yeah. Of those, yeah. But to be really relatable, and I, I think, yeah, let's not be naive to think that there are moments where you probably think you could have done it better, <laughs> and I have them. Yeah. I'm I'm human, just like everybody else. So, yeah, I'd add that to that response.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you I know, like that. Now, my final question for you is, what is the biggest lesson you have learnt in your life so far?
0: Holy really These is huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, the biggest lesson I've learned that the purpose of life is to, and the meaning of life is to experience it. I know that sounds really simple, but that completely changed my life when I really adopted and embraced that because... Up until that point where I didn't believe that, I was always searching for purpose and I was looking in places where like, oh, I need to do this, I need to be of service, I need to do something which is changing people's lives. Like I was always like, why, why, why? What am I doing here? I need to be doing something which is contributing meaning and so forth. And it wasn't until I came to that realization that like your existence is purpose and to experience life, that's it. Right. Once you've got that, then everything that happens after that is either a bonus or a lesson or a gift, you know. And um, I have to remind myself of that a lot that, yeah, purpose is just to experience life as much as possible, be here, experience it, because before you know it, it can be over like that. So um, that's my biggest lesson.
1: Wow, I really love that. I've never, no one's ever answered it like that before. So, the biggest lesson is the meaning of life is to experience it.
0: Mm. I know that sounds so so simple, but it's it's there's such a for me anyway a profoundness to that, really deep in that as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you have that belief though, then from there springs the question of what do I want to experience in life. And then it becomes a whole another question, right? It's not so much I need to find my purpose and uh, what is my purpose? It's what do I want to experience in my life then if the meaning of life is to experience it?
0: Well, the funny thing is when you're experiencing it, that tends to just unfold in itself. Mm. Like what is my experience of life? Just it unfolds. Your purpose, what am I meant to do here? It unfolds. It just comes because you're experiencing. You're not trying to figure it out. You're not trying to grasp or do this and that. You're just being your being, which is our purpose, is to be. And then once you do that, everything just starts to unfold from that. Yeah. Like your work, your, your connections, your relationships, all of that just it all comes from being.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's so simple, so simple yet so profound. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like this has been such a great chat and very enlightening chat.
0: Yeah, good. I love that you finished with that. Yeah, in a yeah. good way. It's, it's a light in a chat way. in an enlightening way.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Lots of practical tips that we can take into our daily lives. Lots of people will be getting so much from this, I hope this so. episode. Yeah, so thank you so much for, for being on the show. Now, where can people go to find all of your amazing work? And, and as well, the book, Everyday Enlightenment, is being released on the 27th of December, so we'll we'll make sure that we pop the links up in the show notes for that. But as well as that, the book is is of course amazing, but Luke does a, a lot of different things, Soul Live as well, the app. So where can people go to find all of your amazing stuff?
0: Yeah, as far as just me personally, probably the socials is the easiest. So on Instagram, it's just luke.mccloud, uh, where I put most of my stuff up there. I'm trying to be better with that, <laughs> uh, to, to put more content up. Uh, TikTok, I've actually gotten into that recently. I think that's just yeah, the does. same as luke.mccloud or Luke luke.mccloud. And then if people want to get into uh, the meditation practice, then Soul Alive is probably the best place to go. And we've got an app for that which you can just search on the app stores or head to the website at soulalive.com.au and yeah, that's – That's pretty much it.
1: So we'll pop all of those notes up as well, those links up in the show notes, guys. So make sure you check out all of Luke's amazing work. And again, his book, Everyday Enlightenment, is being released on the 27th of December. So we'll pop those links up as well. Tell us what you loved and learned from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Screenshot this episode and tag us, share it to your socials. Thank you again, Luke, for joining me on the show. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rachel J Podcast.